0: What is up, everybody? This is episode 99 with the great Garrett Terrell. Um, I started following him on Instagram a little while back. He seemed like a really cool, interesting guy. He's my age. I'm also 28, so I always love seeing people who are absolutely crushing it, who are a little bit on the younger side. Um, Sent him a DM on IG. He said he would come on the podcast, and we now have you here. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for you being here. And yeah, yeah, I'm excited for this podcast. Thank you for coming on.
1: Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Thank
0: you for having me on. Love it. So real quick, just for my audience that doesn't know you, like <laughs> what, a just give a little quick bio on you. Just like, what's your business? What have you done in real estate? All that good stuff. Just real quick. Like what businesses do you run? All that
1: good yep. jazz. Yep. So uh, former Division One baseball player in college, uh, moved to Arizona about eight months ago, lived in Seattle uh, last five years and did a bunch of fix and flips and selling real estate. That was kind of the, the two income sources there. And then now over the last few years, kind of transitioned more into the investor role and, uh, you know, building a rental property portfolio right now and loving it and don't want to do anything else. So that's pretty much it
0: love it awesome. So mainly your entire business has just been long term
1: rentals just owning a bunch of those. yeah that that's pretty much it as of right now. I really was a lot of labor intensive over the years with selling real estate, flipping real estate and you know kind of focusing on those two things. but uh, you know buying assets and buying cash flow and, and that's kind of been the the focus the past 12 to 16 months. Um, and yeah, and it's, it's been amazing. I love it so much. So real quick. So
0: this is the, my classic first question that I'm going to ask you. I told you it before the podcast, which is when you were just starting out in real estate, what were the fears that you were dealing with? We all deal with fears, (laughs) imposter syndrome, fear that we can't do it, fear that something's going to go wrong as we're doing business, maybe even fear that we're going to be sued but what, was, what were like the fears that you dealt with right when you were starting out before you ever did your first real estate deal? And yeah. what did you do to be able to overcome those fears? Yeah,
1: great question. Um, the So I, I think fear comes from confusion. It comes from not knowing what to say, not knowing how the process works, not knowing how to buy a flip and then refi it afterwards. I think the fear comes from not knowing the correct answer. So when I was brand new into the business, you know, my biggest fear was um, basically building rapport with middle aged people, 50, 60 year olds when I was 22 years old, you know, that was, that was the biggest pre- fear for me starting out. Uh, that fear kind of changed into the future. You know, I, I had different fears as I, you know, bought a, a larger flip that's a $100,000 remodel. That's a new fear, you know buying a million dollar deal now. That's a different fear. So your fears will change in time, I believe. But uh, a great way to overcome your fears is really t- like if you're an expert, you're not going to be scared of a lot of things. You know what I mean? Uh, if you know internally uh, what you're saying is the correct information, um, I, I think that fear just kind of goes away. So I think it's, it's a lot of confusion um, is wrapped up in the fear. And overcoming that is just becoming an expert, putting in the work. So talk
0: about that a little bit. What do you mean by confusion? Like, what are you confused about, right? Are you confused
1: about right. what to do? Or what What do you mean by that exactly? So like, you know, brand new real estate agents into the business, for example. Like my first four years, really three years in business was mainly being a real estate agent and flipping homes, essentially. So I think the fear of, you know, when I was brand new, Going to a $750,000 house on a listing appointment, you know, that's a big, a big moment, you know, especially when they're interviewing five or six agents. I'm the youngest one, even though I have a good track record and everything, I'm still the youngest one. And that's still an objection that I'm going to have to overcome no matter what. Um, I think just becoming the expert, becoming the local expert. Real quick, how young were you when you started out? uh, 22. Gotcha. Love it. Yep. Sorry. Keep going. I just want to know exactly yep. how young you was. Yep. I was, I mean, I still look somewhat young. I got a little bit of facial hair, but man, I was, I was baby looking when I was 22. So, uh, I had to become an expert. I had to, I had to know my stuff, um, or else I was just going to be looked over, you know? So I think the, the biggest thing is overcoming your fears by becoming the expert, actually knowing what you're talking about is a huge thing in this business. And as you know, there's a lot of people in this real estate business that have zero clue what they're talking about. They're full of crap, you know? And so when you find somebody that's actually not full of crap, that knows what they're talking about, that's an expert, I think all that fear and anxiety just goes away and you just have confidence and you build rapport and you're just happy to be there. You know, it's a totally different mindset shift. So
0: yeah, yeah that's what i think. Yeah. So for you when you were dealing with it or at the very beginning you felt like like the greatest fear you had or you just felt super confused and because of that your fear was kind of just like maybe like not 100% knowing if you were doing the right thing or if like you right. like maybe maybe a one that you mentioned that's a really interesting one that i want to delve into is the fear yeah. of like being too young right and sorry i gotta do this my camera's flipping out if it's gonna (laughs) listen to me it's like one of those cameras that moves around usually it stops i don't know why it's not deciding not to register today whatever i'm gonna be going in and out for this podcast um but like i really find that one interesting too because like i started when i was 25 so i was young but i feel like 25 is young and old enough where it's possible but like How did you overcome the fact that you're 22, right? I mean, I have friends who are doing this who are like 17, 18, 19, 20, and they deal with this as well. Like, what did you, how did you overcome those objections? How did you deal with the fact that you were like an insanely young individual to be doing real estate? Like, A, how did you overcome it for yourself? And B, how did you overcome that objection when people found out you were 22?
1: It's a fantastic question. Um, So again. I think overcoming your fear, you know, starting out in the business is you got to become the expert. you got to become the local expert, especially if you're being a real estate agent. You know, my business now and life looks a little bit different now because I'm not really selling a whole lot of real estate. I'm mainly just focusing on investing over the last few years. Um, And I love it. I I would prefer it to be that way. Um, But when you're starting out, you know, my biggest fear was going to a listing appointment and just looking like an idiot, you know, not knowing what to say. Not knowing, uh, you know, the proper comps for their house. You know, just the whole listing process in, in itself. It's it's a process. You have to build rapport with middle aged people. You gotta, you know, you're dealing with crazy life situations, divorce, death. You know, tons of stuff, and it, it's a big deal. It's the most stressful transaction in some of these people's lives, and not many people are going to trust a 22 year old, you know, to do it. The way I got sellers to trust me so much. Is I showed them physically showed them the value that I could bring them um, when listing and selling their house, and that's from knowing every house in the neighborhood, knowing all the investors, knowing uh, how to save money on home inspections, on photos, on you know different angles, stuff like that. So like visibly showing people value, giving people value first before asking anything in return. And sometimes you know when I got done with these listing appointments, the sellers were like, "Where do I sign?" Like, you know, let's do this thing. And so when you get to that point, that's becoming the expert. That's becoming the local market expert. And then at that point, all of your fears will just go away. But brand new to the business when I didn't know anything, man, I was scared. I didn't know what to say, you know. So that's that's what I would say. Become the local expert. Become the expert in what you're afraid of currently, essentially.
0: Gotcha so just to double check did anyone like what would like let's say there's a young realtor listening in right now or even a young real estate investor and they're like, hey, are you like 22 like are like how how old are you? do you know what you're doing like what would be your response to that? Do you
1: ever even get that? was that like a real thing or did you just worry about that? i I did get that actually quite a bit. first two years it, it was you know that's kind of the the transition year period I would say is, is it takes two years in the real estate business. If you're an agent to kind of get over that hump of, uh, you know, if you've done transactions, getting over the hump of, you know, Hey, uh, first year in the business, let me sell your house. You know, most people don't like that. So there is, you know, there is a lot, I would say when you're a brand new agent, uh, you know, leveraging a team, you know, stuff like that, but really at the start, you have to be honest. You have to be dead honest with people, you know, and I, I would tell these sellers, I was like, look, i this is my first year in the business i am working directly with a team leader who sells over 200 houses a year here's our whole entire system and process here's the whole shebang basically what are your questions you know and so i would leverage the team a little bit starting out uh, and that was super helpful until i got over that hump so you know to parallel it into uh, real estate investing i would find a mentor leverage your mentor you know uh, if you're going to somebody's house and you're a cash buyer, um, and they go, "Well, how many houses do you own? How many have you purchased? How many have you flipped?" and you're like, uh, "Nothing, none," <laughs> this is my first one. Right. Uh, they're probably not going to sell you their house. But if you have a mentor with you, and you're like, "This guy's closed 500 houses, and I'm his mentee, and I know exactly his business, his whole process, is everything, and I'm bringing him on the appointment." with me you know is there any questions we can ask you or or answer for you and so i would say it's like you kind of have to leverage uh your mentors when you're starting out that's that's a huge piece to this that not too many people talk about gotta leverage your mentors gotcha how does one get a mentor
0: let's say i'm just watching this and i don't have any mentors i'm just going through the free route how would someone let's say like somebody really connects with Garrett right now on this podcast. It's like, man, you know, I live in Phoenix. He seems like such a cool guy. I want to be his mentee. What do you feel like someone would have to do or what they would have to come up with in order to become a mentee of yours
1: or anybody in general? I appreciate the compliment, man. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, But I would say, you know, if you're, if you're a mentee, you know, they used to tell us brand new into the business, you know, you can either pay like to get buyers and sellers, right? Cause that's the real estate business is prospecting to get buyers or sellers. You either have to either work for it or pay for it essentially. So if you're brand new into the business and you ain't got no money, your labor is your bargaining tool. And that was my bargaining tool. So I like when you're 18 years old, 20 years old, 22 years old, you don't have the ego enough to say, I don't have, you know, I'm not going to do this for free. I'm not going to, you know, follow you around and, you know, go on ride-alongs with you for two weeks for free. You know, I want to, I want to get paid for that. It's like, that's the exact opposite mindset, what you should have. I would, you know, like if I was 18 years old and Grant Cardone or somebody told me to work for them for free for a month, dude, I would do it. Why would you not want to do it? You know, so when you're brand new, your labor is a bargaining tool. Your labor is valuable. So, you know, if you can provide value to people, then you're going to be in those conversations, you're going to be in the right rooms, you're going to be on those phone calls, if you can provide value. If you're just like, hey, I'm trying to build my buyers list, you know, what do you, you know, that's not like, that's not very valuable. But if you have a deal that you're trying to sell somebody that only you have, and you have this secret way of, uh, you know, finding these sellers and building really good rapport that like that's, That is valuable, you know, so I guess find something that you can you can show value to with a mentor. And ninety nine percent of the time they're going to accept that, even if it's free or even if it's partial work. Um, Use your labor to your advantage. Use your hustle, because when you're starting out, that's all you got. You got no money starting out. You got no other choice.
0: So one hundred percent. One hundred percent. I'm just going to echo what you're already saying real quick. If just like, if you're looking for a mentor, like if you're like, I've, I've had some mentees before. I bet Garrett has too. The difference is exactly what Garrett said. It's when you guys add value for free, when you think creatively, like what could this person need? I'm just going to tell a real quick story. Two days ago, I was speaking yeah. at ASU. I would have done this live. I didn't know you were in Arizona. I should have checked that out because we oh, could have done yeah. this live. But um, I was at ASU two days ago, and a college student came up to me. There's several college students who came up to me and were wanted to work for me, and be like, oh, are you hiring right now? And I'm like, nah, man, not really, right? Because they don't have any skills. I definitely don't want to hire any of them. Yeah. But there was one kid who came up to me like, hey, man, like I've been editing. I saw your Instagram and TikTok. You have an insane amount of content. Like, do you need like an extra editor? I could do some editing for you on the side. And I'm like, yeah, actually I could, especially if it's free, right? Like I didn't say that out loud, but like, I'm like thinking that if I had a free editor, yeah, I'll teach that guy all the real estate investing ever because he sent me back a reel. I'm like, damn, you did a pretty darn good job. Like I'm very impressed with his style, right? And so that kid, I'm having a conversation with him tomorrow to see how he can add more value to me. And then eventually, I'm obviously going to give it back to him, right? I'm going to teach him real estate investing. He'll have my ear more than anybody else because he's giving me something that's super valuable. So, guys, I really wanted to just come up with an example of something that you guys all can do um, or just an example. It's not like everyone can edit, but like an example of like paying attention to what potentially the person you're trying to get to mentor you needs or wants that's the best way to do it in my opinion i'm curious garrett like how do you figure out what would be valuable to a mentor because like a lot of these a lot of kids out there just don't know even what would be valuable to me or you right yeah deals are yeah. obviously one <clears throat> but i'm curious if there's maybe an example of somehow somebody creatively gave you some value and then there was a relationship started i don't know if there's like yeah. an example you yeah. have that could be helpful for the audience to give them some ideas
1: yeah. Oh, dude. That's a that's a great question. Um, I you know, really, what I would say is, when you're in the business of real estate, you you realize, you know, soon sooner or later that you do not get paid for clocking in. You get paid for results. So, you know, if you're a mentee looking for a mentor, and you're trying to provide value, and you're you're trying to figure out what can I give this guy that he would like that he would allow me to either work with him or ride along with him or learn from him or getting on phone calls or stuff like that, what can I do to to provide that to him? Well, obviously people aren't working for free. Revenue, top line revenue, you can never go wrong with. So obviously a deal is super valuable, locking up a deal, having that equity in that deal, that equitable contract, that's value, right? That's that's a form of value that you could give to people. you know but really the the main thing is understand switching from the w2 mindset to the entrepreneur mindset of knowing that you're not getting paid for clocking in these people are not getting paid for locking in or clocking in they're getting paid on results so if you can move that line along with them to get them closer to that top line revenue or you know even if somebody out there like messaged me right now on Instagram and said, dude, I can turn three reels into 100,000 views for 50 bucks or 100 bucks. Can you do it? You know, I, I guarantee it. If it doesn't happen, then I'll refund you the money. Dude, I would say yes, seven days a week to that, seven days a week. So it's like, you know, just, just provide value with that top line revenue. You know, that's what that's what we're looking for. That's what I'm looking for. That's what you're looking for. You're looking to add to that top line. So, if you have a skill, if you have a, a good skill, how can you add that skill to that person's life to create more top line revenue That's what I would say. love
0: it, awesome. So, how did you get your mentors i mean like what like what what was the example of how you got your mentors? You said you had some mentors, you said you had a team. was it just signing up because you were an agent? They always take more agents or i i'm I'm just curious like it sounded like you had some mentors. How did you get your mentors?
1: yeah. Yeah, great question. So, um, so my mom's been in the real estate business for a long time. She got her broker's license in 2016, I believe. Um, And so my first mentor was Joe Simonette. Uh, Shout out to Joe, uh, my boy, Uh, super awesome guy. And he was a team lead uh, for the team. And, uh, you know, my mom did well and produced and she said, you know, hey, my sons and uh, college playing division one baseball right now. And when he gets done, I want him to get licensed. I want him to meet you and get on the team and everything. So that was kind of the connection or the link you could say. Um, and then really from there, I, I, I seeked, or I don't even know the word for that. I sought out, uh, knowledge. Like I, I was asking people hundreds of questions. I was asking a collection of people, a lot of questions. I just wanted to gather info. You know, because when you're in a real estate office with 50 different agents, you're going to get 50 different ways to skin a cat, you know. So I was just looking for knowledge. I was looking for, uh, you know, strategies and stuff like that. And how I found my mentors really, I mean, obviously the connection with my mom, but I, I proved to him that I was ready for these opportunities by showing him that, you know, I was coming to the office at 7 a.m., Uh, You know, staying until 5pm making calls all day putting in the work and just showing him that I was ready for these opportunities. And, you know, because the the reality is, dude, is people do not want to work, people do not want to get on the phone, people do not want to send emails and texts. And so when you find that person that actually puts in that effort, and is like, dude, I'm going to figure this out, no matter what, that's how you find a mentor. You, you have to be so like, selfless and, and, and you know, basically just asking for an opportunity. And when you, when you are in that type of mindset and around those types of people, those opportunities will pop up and those mentors will have those opportunities. So that's what I would say is really grow your, your network to find good mentors and, and you know, don't search too hard for it either. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pop up in your life. Like it, like it did with me, you know, and like it did with many other people, I'm sure with your mentors as well. Um, you know, don't force it. You know, if you're looking at a mentor, you don't agree with the, you know, there are certain lifestyles or whatever. Don't don't try to force things. You can learn a lot from the internet, but you really need somebody in person, uh, kind of holding your hand and helping you for the first six months, 12 months in the business. So that's what Makes I am saying. Sense.
0: 100%. And yeah, guys, like I just want to like emphasize again, just like Garrett is right now, like a mentor is someone you need to bring value to if you want to do it freeway. You can also pay for mentors, that's a way to do it, but we're talking to the people who don't have any money, right? Um yeah. so yeah, these are I love I just love the tips. Um I yeah. wanna talk about your division one baseball a little bit. What lessons yeah. do you feel like you took from sports? that translated over to real estate. I've noticed that a lot of times when somebody does either <clears throat> sports or the military or something, like yeah. there's a lot of lessons that translate. So I always really like asking, like, what did you learn from baseball that now translates over to real
1: estate? Yeah. Another fantastic question, dude. Um, the, I got a lot of them. I, I, the, I try to have a lot of fantastic <laughs> questions. The lesson that I learned honestly was discipline. Discipline is it it's kind of the name of the game when you get to that level because you're you know, you're the the best player in your town or whatever. But when you get to that level, the very top level of division one baseball, you're all the best players. And so you gotta be, you gotta figure out how to get from here to get just a little bit better every single day. So discipline, I feel like I have a really unfair advantage against people in the business because I literally, it's almost like military to to some extent you know 6 a.m workouts class all day practice after homework at night rinse and repeat for four years you know you build discipline and you grow up and you you know if you're a guy you become a man in college you know at least for me that's i i came in there as a kid left as a man and so um you know really that's that's what it is it's discipline and discipline, I would rather have discipline than motivation. I've heard that from multiple different people. I think David Goggins yeah. actually said that. But discipline 1000% is better than motivation. Motivation will come and go, but discipline's there every single day. So, so that's, that's let's the lesson. Go, let's go into some of the stuff that you were talking about. Like, can
0: you define discipline real quick? Because, like, I think people get it confused the confusion of motivation versus discipline. What's the difference between those two? And like, what does it mean that discipline is what you really need and not motivation?
1: Yeah. Motivation is like very flaky, very surface level, you know, watch a YouTube video, get motivated or, you know, you're trying to prove something to somebody or, you know, somebody said a bad comment to you and you're trying to prove them wrong and, you know, do well and all this stuff. Discipline is just that daily bread and butter it, it's doing the stuff that you need to do, even though you don't want to do it. Like when I was brand new to the business, I would my my goals as a real estate agent. Again, a lot of people on here are probably investors. I don't recommend being an agent, by the way. Um, if I had to do it all over again, I would have not become a real estate agent. So we could probably go into that later on. But um, your when when you're um, basically, I don't know. I don't know exactly how to how to explain this, but your discipline is your it's your backbone. You know, it's when when you have to make 10 calls or not 10 calls, 10 contacts, when you have to make 10 contacts and you wake up on a Monday morning at 730 or 830, discipline is making those calls anyways. Motivation is, you know, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to feel better. I'm going to drink a coffee. I'm going to get in a better mood. I'll do it later on. I'll do it when I'm motivated, you know, discipline is just doing it no matter what, like no matter how you're feeling, getting in a cold tub, going to work out, you know, that is discipline. It's the daily grind. And some people like it, some people don't. And uh, the people who are disciplined, I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of amazing baseball players that I've played with, that have played in the major leagues and in the minor leagues and large real estate investors very well-to-do people—they all have that same thing in common, which is extreme discipline. So, so I was a big, let's big aspect. More,
0: of this. Let's go more into it because this is a conversation yeah, I was yeah. having with my friend this morning. We ran, we ran like a five-mile run at five fifteen, which he does every day, and I never do. I never run that much. And yes. we were talking about the idea of discipline, and me and him were talking about the idea of like making it where there just is no other option. They like yeah. As soon as yeah. you add another option in there, that's when you're screwed. It's like when you let your mind be like, no, I can slow down. No, I can like just not do it. That's where you get screwed. Me and him were talking about if when you start doing something, you make it no other option. For instance, for me, I haven't missed – w- I missed one week because it was like in the holidays of doing this podcast since I started it. And I've just done it every single week otherwise because – I haven't let myself have the option of missing any other week except for that one week. Cause there was yeah. a lot going on as a the family stuff and the holidays at the same time. But other than that one week, I haven't missed a single one because I just know this will help my journey. Yeah. Um, I'm curious your opinions on that. Do you agree that that's kind of what creates discipline is just being like making it in your mind how there's no other option or is it something else or other? Are there any other
1: tricks that, you know, to stay disciplined? It's a great, Great question. This, as soon as you said that, I, I thought of a, a quote or not a quote, but a saying is what are your non-negotiables? So it's like, you know, 10 calls today. Is that negotiable? You know, can I do that today? Or is that a non-negotiable? Am I going to do that no matter what? You know, um, you know, I would say like email marketing, you know, uh, a, making a picture and post, you know, posting it, stuff like that. That's kind of a negotiable, you know, but top line revenue, making phone calls, making your contacts, you know, stuff like that. That's a non-negotiable. You got to do that. Right. So it's like, really, what's your, what are your non-negotiables and what are your negotiables? You know, and you got to be honest with yourself. And my, my non-negotiables when I was brand new into the business was 10 quality conversations about real estate, with new prospects every single day, five days a week. And you know, I would do two open houses on the weekend and I would get my contacts in and stuff like that. But I was, I was having a enormous amount of conversations about real estate and with, with buyers and sellers. And my first year as a real estate agent, sir, sold 35 homes and made like $120,000 in uh, real estate commissions. And that was from doing the 10 contacts daily, right? That's from the discipline side of things. So, um, I mean, really that that's the simple answer to that. Love it.
0: Awesome. So let's get into what you were talking about earlier about real estate license and why you decided to become a realtor. Why would you change that now? Knowing everything, you know, why would you, sounds like you probably just skip to the investing side. why? Like a lot of people think, Hey, you need a license to do this business. Why do you not need a license? And why would you recommend other people not to necessarily get their
1: real estate license? I was so green into the business that I thought exactly that you have to have a license in order to do this. Right. And like, you don't, you know, as an investor, you don't, um, you know, and I always thought the people were that had the licenses, the agents or the investors that had the licenses, Like those were, they were like a step above. They were like, they had more knowledge because they had this license type thing. And that's the exact opposite, by the way. 90% NAR just came out to study, 90% of real estate agents sell less than three houses a year. Um, 10% of the people do the rest of the business. So uh, that's, that's a giant fact. And, you know, that's, that's the reality of the situation. I didn't want to... I mean, I knew I eventually wanted to get into investing. I just didn't know how to at the start. Um, But, you know, personally, this is just my opinion again. Um, You know, if I'm 40 or 50 years old or 60 years old, I do not want to be out showing buyers houses. I'm sorry. All of my past clients, like if anybody's watching this, I love you guys and you've been amazing. But just for me personally, with me and my family and everything, I do not wanna be showing 10 houses on a Saturday. I'm sorry. Somebody else is gonna get that business in the future. I would rather be underwriting deals. I would rather be walking deals, uh, locking deals up, building relationships with private lenders, private investors. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the transitionary phase that I'm in right now. It's, it's just different wants and needs. But literally, if I had to start all over again, I would not get my license not one bet. Right. What was
0: the mindset shift for you as a realtor shifting and being like, wait a minute, this investing thing is way sicker. I'm going to make way more money. I'm going to actually become financially free. I'm not going to have what's basically a job. I'm going to actually own a business. What was the mindset shift? How'd you realize like, oh
1: my God, I've, this, I've been doing this wrong the entire time? It comes from frustration of doing a lot of work and not getting paid <laughs> a lot. I'm sorry, but real estate agents do not make a lot of money. I mean, they do. You you definitely can make a lot of money. And there's a select few people out there that consistently make six figures a year, and they'll make six figures a year for the next 20 years. That's just how it is. They'll get referrals. They'll get all that stuff. But um, the... Oh, sorry, I just read that comment that came up. Uh, so. Sorry that uh got me No worries. Me off track sorry, a I shouldn't bit. distract you. Um,
0: we're talking so, about realtors. Like why you would so, um,
1: yeah. So so go ahead again. Sorry.
0: The yeah no no you're good. We were just talking about realtors and like why um what was like the mindset shift that of oh, like oh, why oh, you yeah. were why like how you switched from becoming a realtor to an investor and yes. what in your mindset were you like wait a minute this investing is just way better.
1: Yeah, from agent to investor. Yeah. So really, just frustration from. Uh, you know you you have to go through this physically like to experience this you know if you're showing a buyer a house and you're working with them for 6 months and you're you've been emailing these people you've been texting them you've been putting in so much time and effort and then you know something happens and they go oh we're moving to Florida actually and then you're just like oh okay well that last 6 months of work that i've put into that revenue is gone now or sometimes you know you go to an open house and you know, you can get a, a client from an open house and then they're a cash buyer and it closes two weeks later. But that stuff never happens. The reality is the home buying process, the home selling process, it's so messy so that you're you're constantly like dealing with some of the worst and best situations in these people's lives constantly. And so I would have like six or seven in escrow and I would have these situations with these families these people are getting married, having kids. And so it's like managing all these people's emotions. It's a lot. And I enjoy it. And I was good at it. But, um, you know, when I flipped my first house, it was $107,000 in seven weeks, you know, and so that will turn some heads, you know, and then when I did that flip my first house, I was like, man, this investing side is crazy. Like you can make this in this short amount of time. And you don't got to deal with you know, death, divorce, stuff, you know, you don't have to deal with these crazy situations. Right. Um, I like this investing thing a little bit more, you know, that was kind of how it started to transition. And then really from the flippings, because I thought people who flipped were so cool. Like, that's amazing. You can flip a house. I thought that was amazing. But then you start to realize flipping's good. It, it's a great business. It is a job. It's a, it's great, great money, but it's not always going to be there forever, you'll have market shifts like we're in right now, You can't flip a house. And then, you know, as you start to work longer and longer and longer, and you're like, man, I'm not really getting anything long term from this stuff, unless I buy a rental property, right? I'm not really getting paid for my efforts in the future. You know, if I sold a house, I would get one commission check. And then maybe potentially something in the future would turn into like a referral or something like that. But you can't bank on that business. I want to get cash flow every single month to pay the bills, to pay our lifestyle. Like, you know, referrals, future equity, all that stuff doesn't pay the bills. Cash flow pays the bills. So then it was like agent, flipper, uh, rental properties. You know, it was like those three phases. And uh, I, I loved all of them and learned a lot through all of them. But um, I'm telling you right now, if I started doing rentals at the start, I would probably be over like three, 400 units right now. Um, and I'm probably going to get there in the future, but I uh, would have had a hell of a head start. but yeah, makes that's sense. what I would say.
0: So here's my view. I'll give my opinion on rentals. So like, I'll yep. give you a little bit of background on me cause you don't know me that well. I mainly wholesale. That's like my main business model. I own a handful of rentals. I own like three right now. And then I've done a few flips. I am not a fan of flips in comparison to wholesaling, personally. I just like, I'd rather have a smaller check, but be sure I'm getting paid instead of necessarily losing money, right? Flipping in this market, especially, I'm like, you people are crazy, but I will get you the house and sell it to you, right? Yeah. (laughs) my question to you, because this is my issues with my rentals, and maybe you can educate me on once you start getting more to scale, because you have like
1: 38, I think I saw, something like that. How many rentals Yeah, are 38 right now, closing on another 22 uh, next Friday. So I'll be up to- Oh, hell 50. yeah. Like a multifamily one? Yep. Uh, 22 unit, single family portfolio, uh, closing next uh, Friday, seller finance, zero down, 3% interest love
0: it. A stellar finance deal. That's awesome. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, yeah, (laughs) so my issue so far has been like, for instance, I have a rental in Georgia, right? Um, Cash flowing for like two years. It was great. Got me like 10K in cash flow. But then the tenants left it a complete mess and it took about 10K to rehab it. So effectively, I'm at zero, right? Um, The only thing that's making it a really good investment in my head is the tax benefits and the appreciation that's happened over the past two years. So I'm really curious your opinion on that. It's like, how much can you live off the cash flow? Have you been dealing with it? Does it change when you get to scale? Because like, I'm just interested in the sense that at least the ones I've owned so far have been mainly that, which is like an issue
1: it's a great point. And I have, this is something that I'm still figuring out by the way. I mean, I have done very well, but I'm by any means, not an expert in rental properties and each single family deal is such a specific deal location. Like it's so important for single family. It's, it's a lot of work into one deal and it's one check. That's the big risk of it. Right. Um, you know, then it's a kind of another transitionary period into single family to multifamily, you know, the scale, the risk factor, everything. It's, it's much more different. Um, but yeah, personally, I, I, again, I'm not going to get probably a lot of good comments about this or a lot of good feedback, but I, I really do not like single families. Um, and I own, uh, you know, a duplex in Washington, three single families here in Phoenix. We have another one that we're purchasing. Um, and then I'm going to buy another portfolio, but The portfolio is the value, not the single family house in the portfolio. It's the collection of them, the price, the cash flow, everything that comes in there together. But single family is risky, man. It's, you know, right now to cash flow on a long-term rental with a single family house is damn near impossible. Especially if you're putting 25% down, um, it's going to be hard to cash flow. You know, you're talking about less than $500 a month on a single family home uh right now and uh you know if you can lock something up seller finance where you're you know you have a much bigger spread than that that's a different story but to physically go out there on the mls buy a property put 25 percent down eight and a half percent debt you're not going to cash flow right now and you know you can do airbnb airbnb is very flaky again we have a couple they're doing extremely well right now thank god um but we're looking at other models like pad split uh, we have a pad split going on right now in Scottsdale. Uh, amazing house. It, it's, uh, that's a, something that we can probably talk about maybe, you know, this episode or in the future. But, um, you know, single family, you have to be creative. You have to be extremely creative in single family to make yeah. it work right now. If you have something with long-term debt, it's going to do well and it's, it's going to cash flow. You know, I have a duplex in Washington right now that I locked in about two years ago into four and a quarter debt. Um, And that's fixed for 10 years. And I'm never going to sell it. Never going to sell that until, you know, that 10 year mark, Um, which who even knows what life looks like 10 years from now? You know what I mean? But I'm never going to sell that deal because of that debt. Now, would I buy that same deal today? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I would never buy that deal today. But three years ago or two and a half years ago, I would buy that. With you mean because of the interest rates you wouldn't buy it? Yes. Yeah. That, that the interest rates are really affecting the investor market. You know, I mean, the Airbnb market here in Phoenix, it's, it's a, you know, blood in the streets. There's a lot of Airbnb guys that are not doing well right now. So you have to be, you have to pivot. You got to be extremely creative. You know, you got to find these different strategies. And so, yeah, that, that's my opinion about single families, man, to be honest with you. Um, They can work, but man, you gotta work for that that one paycheck from that deal. It makes sense. Um, all of my thing, all my rentals,
0: they're sub twos, all of them. And that's oh, why so they're they able to work. They're, they're all at like 3% interest. I had to put like 25k down, which was like usually like five percent down. So yeah, that's wow. why I don't know they definitely traditionally, if you're buying houses, oh, oh yeah.
1: Sing, okay. yeah, single family with sub two and seller finance, that is the best way you can ever buy a single family deal the yeah. worst ways to do traditional. And I've done yep. I've done the traditional burrs and refied into 4 5 6% debt and they work. But those traditional burrs you cannot do I those hate. anymore. You have to find the wholesaler guys like you and by the way, I I forgot to mention this. I love the wholesale business. <laughs> I I did not have respect for you guys at the start cuz I was like, man, these guys are You're making so much money. And and not doing anything yeah and, and i came from a realtor background but you know looking at it now if i had started at 22 years old wholesaling and buying seller finance sub two deals and multifamily deals you know focusing on rental properties man i don't even know where we would be right now but you know you live and that's you right. learn and and you know that's just kind of how life works obviously you know as well if you started all over again, you'd probably do things 10 times different, right? Do that. Um, but it's really valuable learning those lessons, you know, like from that single family deal in Georgia, you have, you've probably learned so much from having that deal for two years. So you know how to talk to a tenant, you know how to collect rent, you know, like yeah. you learned so much from that, that you wouldn't have had before if you didn't buy it, you know? so
0: no 100 yeah
1: you learn lessons as you
0: just keep doing stuff keep trying stuff and having all of that stuff happen right and just like you're saying right now it's just it's all a learning process you got to try it you'll screw some stuff up you'll do some things really well like i've got the wholesaling really down my business is really really good on the wholesaling but then like even buying sub twos and buying seller financing sometimes things fuck up or screw up sorry um they screw up <laughs> I'm like, I was like in contract for a really nice deal in Denver. It was going to be, it was a lot down. It was like 80 K down, but it was 3% yeah. interest cash flowed, probably like 800, 700 a month as just a long-term rental. And we were yeah. thinking of possibly pad splitting it, which we can, we can do a quick intro into that. If you want, I've never done a pad yeah. split, but I really like the business model. Yeah. Um, but what are your goals right now? It sounds like, are you just trying to go into multifamily now? And if yeah. so, like when yeah. do you feel like you should get out of the single family world? This is like a personal question because I'm, I'm sensing yeah. it might be a good idea for me. It's just yeah. harder for me yeah. to find those multifamily deals in comparison to those. Like I have more, I, it's easier for me to find a sub two or seller financing for a single family than it is for a multifamily. So I'm yeah. going to ask that question and I'm going to go into yeah. that and then also ask about the 22 unit portfolio deal and how that came to be.
1: Yeah, so I, I will eventually in the future sell uh, probably all of my single families, all my single family rentals in the future at some point. Now, if that's going to be 10 years, 15, 7 or 3, I don't know. I have zero clue. But I am not going to hold single family long term. I'll you know if, if it's a decent little package, I'll probably package it and sell it to an investor or like a small hedge fund or something. Uh, but I don't have enough single families right now to really do that. I have a 33-unit mobile home park um, and a, the 22-unit uh, single-family portfolio that we're closing on uh, next week. And I will tell you this, dude, doing that deal, doing the 33-unit mobile home park deal, um, the, the numbers on it, the, the cash flow, the, the, just the overall scale and the ease of the property management company and everything, that is – and this is going to be out on a limb – that is the easiest deal I have done in six years of being in the business. Interesting. And, you know, after you do that, you're like, your eyes kind of get open. You're like, man, you know, I'm doing all this work for one paycheck with an Airbnb. You know, it's one house, one paycheck, one direct deposit, you know, per month. It's a lot of work for one. But when you have 33 people paying you one paycheck or, you know, one check or one rent check or whatever, um your risk factor just instantly goes down you know if five people left tomorrow morning you know we would still be cash flowing multiple thousand dollars a month so it, you know but if the same thing happened on the airbnb side we'd be screwed for 30 days you know we we would have to come out of pocket and pay the mortgage you know so right. i i just look at risk i i look at You know, time and risk, because after a certain amount of time in the business, you start to value your time and you don't want to be strung out by every single person, get on every single phone call, answer every single email. You start to value your time after a while. And for me, seeing that 33 unit, that 22 unit, putting the the finances together, putting the private money together for it, um, and and actually, and and they're both not stabilized too. Um, They're cash flowing extremely well or they're go- the 22 unit is going to cash flow extremely well with private money. Same with the 33 unit mobile home park. First month was incredible, um, and once it's stabilized, it, I mean it's it's going to be night and day. Um, but it, it, again, it just ties into the risk factor. There's so much less risk in that 33 unit mobile home park deal, even though it's over a million bucks, than my you know single family uh, West Phoenix. Airbnb next month. I have no clue if we're going to have bookings. I have, you know, it's going to come in or it's going to not God willing. Um, but, uh, that's the reality, dude. It's like, I just look at risk. Like I look at that as a, you know, brand new into the business. I would have looked at that as a more risky deal in the single family as less risky, but it's actually the opposite. And, you know, as much as hate that Grant Cardone gets, um, I've come to the conclusion that almost everything he says when it comes to real estate investing is almost 100% correct. Like everything he says is very, very, very close to, uh, you know, the the correct route of properly scaling with the least amount of risk, the most amount of cash flow, the most upside. Like his process, I've done it. Is is probably the best process out there you can follow in real estate, and he talks about this all the time, the single family into the multifamily. It's kind of the the scale, you know. It's kind of the trajectory, and so yeah, I would, I'd say multifamily is less riskier than single family. I like
0: it. I like it. So let's talk about a little bit of the pros and cons too, though, because people see less risky. They're like, but Garrett, isn't it like millions upon millions of dollars more? So I yes. want you to get into the 22 unit because it's a seller financing deal. How did you find this deal? How did that come together? I really want you to talk about that real quick. Um, let's talk yeah. about that real quick.
1: I'll try to make it short and sweet because it is a really long story, but I'll try to just bullet point it. But essentially, sure. I, I have been looking for this type of deal you know, cause basically my goal was to get enough cash flow to pay for all of our expenses every single month. And then our lifestyle on top of that. And with these deals, we've hit that, you know, by the grace of God, thank you so much. And it's, you know, it's been amazing, but the, I've been looking for this for a while. This did not happen overnight. Um, it, it was actually an MLS deal, uh, that my broker sent it to me out of state broker. Um, And it was a 33 unit mobile home park for 1.12 million. And the NOI was $192,000. So right off the bat, it was a 17 cap. I'm like, man, what is like, something's not right here. This is a crazy deal. Like what, what's wrong. And dude, I just started to poke holes in this deal for five days, you know, like calling, asking research, everything. I was just poking holes in this deal. And, nothing came back bad, like everything penciled out, you know, even, even if things went wrong, they penciled out. I'm like, man, this is an amazing deal. So I ended up locking it up because I'm like, man, this is like, this could be it, you know, and, you know, finding hard money right now for, uh, for multifamily deals is uh, it's unbelievably hard because there's so many scammers out there. There's tons of stuff, right. And we, we can't even get into that. That's, we could talk for an hour about all that stuff. But um, I, I locked it up and got it closed with a private money lender that I know. We cross-collateralized uh, one of my other rental properties in Washington and basically purchased it cash um, at 13% and uh, interest only for uh, 10 months. And so closed on that and uh, you know built really good rapport with the seller. That was the thing, kind of the secret sauce to this whole deal was building amazing rapport at the seller and over the years going on listing appointments with middle-aged people, I have done that, you know? And so this seller's awesome lady, she was retiring out of the business, built great rapport with her. And I just told her, look, like this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to build cash flow for my family and you know, this is my goals and we just kind of hit it off. And so the crazy part was we closed on the deal and it was with brokers and everything. So they got paid and you know, all that stuff. And, uh, And it wasn't in Arizona, so I couldn't use my own license. Or Washington, Um, it was in Alabama. And uh, so we got it closed and everything. And she emails me about a week after the transaction. She goes, hey, uh, you know, I obviously sold you my mobile home park and everything, but I also have a single family portfolio like right down the street. And that's the vicinity to it. So there's the 33 unit. And then about a mile down the street is the, it's two neighborhoods backed up to each other, two streets. And it's every single house on those two streets. And um, and she goes, hey, I'm, I'm potentially interested in selling you these. Do you want to buy them? And without even talking, without even looking through the numbers or anything, I said, absolutely, 100%, I will buy them. Yeah, and, and so, you know, commit first, figure it out later. Another Grant Cardone thing. Um, and so And so we're closing on that. And really, you know, she said tax reasons why she didn't want to receive a large sum of money, uh, because I even talked with my private money lender. I'm like, look, we can get you like 50,000 down or 100 or 150 or whatever it is. We can cross collateralize and put that money down to you to give you some cash in the bank. She didn't even want it. She got the million bucks from the deal and was super happy and excited. and, um, And so basically, we did a zero down seller finance deal, 3%. And I'll I'll eventually cash her out in the future, you know, but she wants to defer those uh, capital gains into next year. So she said, you know, pretty much anytime next year, you can cash me out. And so at that time, you know, I'll either bring in private money and cash her out or I'll just refi with long-term debt and cash her out. But the benefit is building the rapport, you know, closing on the deal and then getting the off-market deal with no real estate agents involved. And she gives me an amazing price for it. You know, it's it's essentially the same type of deal, uh, but this one I'm actually buying at a 20 cap. Um, so it's 22 units, buying it for $782,000. do not know why that number is, but that's the number she wanted, 782000 And the NOI is $156,000 in the last 12 months. So crazy deal. Again, crazy cash flow deal. She probably could get a little bit more for these, but... I built such good rapport that she's not going to go anywhere else. You know,
0: so that's and, a really interesting thing to me. I want to ask about this because I mainly yeah. it's funny. I mostly get most of my wholesale deals is through agent outreach. That's like my calling card. Okay. I have trouble building rapport with sellers when the agent was the one that built the rapport after the deal is done. How yeah. did you, how yeah. did you feel like you did that? Like during the process, did you like sell the agent? Hey, I want to talk to her or
1: like what happened? They were very, you know, it, it was a Marcus and Millichap, traditional commercial broker, you know, they're they're very put together, you know, very professional, but they're not getting, you know, they're not getting deep. You know, they're they're getting wide. They have a lot of contacts and stuff, but they're not getting deep with people. And so I went deep with her and found out her why, found out about her family, about her goals, about just everything. You know, they say they they say the five things to build rapport. This was one of the Keller Williams trainings that I had back in the day to build rapport with sellers, five ways you can build rapport with sellers. It was faith, family, um, goals, dreams, aspirations. It's like those things you, if you talk about those five things, you can get some of these sellers to talk to you for hours, you know, faith, family, and I forgot the other ones, but those are questions. Those are topics to build rapport with sellers. And so if you can do it properly, you are going to get better terms than other people and you're going to you're going to start building so much trust with these people that and if you're just upfront and honest and i've always taken that route from the start because i've noticed that when i was brand new saying i was i was brand new built me more trust than these other people you know that are just all flamboyant and all that stuff you know so real quick, just because i want to get upfront into and it honest. i want to get into really my
0: question is like so when you were buying it at some point were you like hey i need to talk to the seller or what, like, I'm just curious oh, how you oh. got contact with the seller.
1: Right. That was a, that was not a smooth process. I will say that. Uh, the broker did not want me to talk to the seller at all. That's kind of an a unwritten rule. That's been my problem too. That's why. Because I would love to make a relationship with these sellers and have them keep sending me deals. But anyways. Yeah. It That's, you know, looking back on it now, I, to be honest with you, I do not know how I actually got the seller's phone number and started talking and, and Patrick, the guy, the broker on it, who actually sent, I'm on his buyer's list and he sends me deals now and stuff. As soon as I, you know, I, cause I told him, I was like, Patrick, this is an amazing deal. I want to get you paid, but I just want to ask the seller some questions and just, you know, and, and, you know, and so we, it was kind of like that. It kind of was, Hey, I want to talk to her about this or, Hey, I want to ask her about this or, you know, I have a question about her, uh, you know, her profit and loss for February of last year and the capital expenditures she spent that month. Can you dive into that or can I just call her and talk to her on the phone? You know, and these guys with 20, 30, 40, 50 deals in escrow, these large commercial brokers, do they want to make that phone call and ask the seller for, you know, an explanation on that? Or are they going to just send, you know, the the number to the buyer? and I was the squeaky wheel and I got the seller's phone number started talking with her and that's kind of how it started but he was not happy that I was talking to her from the start it it took it took multiple conversations to build trust with the agent that I wasn't going to try to snake him out of the deal and it it that was that was the big hump really was getting over the agent not trying to control the entire deal because really the, me and the seller could have done the whole entire thing, but she already had it listed, you know? So we got the agents paid and we got all this stuff, you know, paid out. Um, but the, but the 22 unit, she kept that quiet, you know, and I'm assuming she was probably going to do it with any buyer that would have bought it. Not just me. Um, cause she didn't want to pay the real estate commission. She didn't want to pay 6% on almost 800,000 bucks. And I don't blame her. Right. And that's even coming from an agent, you know, saying that. Um, But yeah, that's, that's kind of how it happened. It was a couple tough conversations and then I got the phone number and built trust and rapport with both and sign our own history after that.
0: I love it. I love it so much. So we're getting to the end of the podcast and I want to make sure I'm like keeping track of your time and all of that. But I have one last question I always ask everyone on these podcasts, and that is, If you could go back, you kind of answered this, but I'm curious if you have another answer. If you could go back to Garrett, right when he's starting out in real estate investing, what would you change? Either starting in real estate investing, or you can say just starting in real estate in general. What would you change knowing everything that you know now? What would you tell your former self, your 22-year-old self?
1: Mm. Man, it'd be a long conversation. I'll tell you that. (laughs) It would be really, really long. There's a lot to unpack. But I would say the main thing, the bottom line is you got to get direct to seller on everything on a listing on, you know, if you're on the buy side, uh, if you're on the investing side, if you're on the wholesale side, getting direct to seller is like the highest top line revenue thing that you can do in real estate, in my opinion, Um, getting direct to seller and uh, really understanding truly how to invest and knowing the risk factors of each different type of pillar of investing airbnb pad split long-term rental mid-term rental uh seller finance sub 2 burr you know all those strategies have their own pros and cons and just really understanding that risk factor would be huge for a brand new person in the business and that just comes really from years and years of experience i hate to say but You guys, you have to put in the work for this stuff. This knowledge just doesn't happen overnight. If you do this, you're going to understand and learn so much more by doing it yourself than just watching a YouTube video. You have to take massive action in the business to get the results that you want. But I would say really focus on getting direct to seller because if you get direct to seller. You can buy it. You can flip it. You can wholesale it. You can long-term rent it. You can, you can do whatever it, when you're direct to seller, there's so many options. There's so many spokes on the wheel, you know? Um, so getting direct to seller is huge. Um, you know, you either pay a wholesaler 20,000, 30,000, whatever it is, or you get direct to seller, you know, you pay for that marketing. So I would say get direct to seller um, at bottom line. And then number two would be focus on investing and unfortunately not getting your license (laughs) cancel your license and just focus on investing that's what i would say i love it i love it you're trying to
0: to end my wholesaling business right now (laughs) by getting all the flippers to go direct to seller but um my man i appreciate you so much for coming on where can people reach out to you is there anything you want to promote right now um what are your socials all that good stuff
1: yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for having me on. You can find me on any social: uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, at Garrett underscore Terrell. And really, right now, you guys, like, uh, you know, I, I, it's a crazy point of life that we're at right now. Like, all of our bills and everything is paid for every month, so it's it's a new period for us. But it, but it's it's amazing, and we're very thankful for it. Um, but really, right now, I'm looking to build relationships with other. Investors and private money lenders. I even made a Facebook post last week about a a pad split deal. And, um, you know, I just asked for, you know, Hey, I have a deal and who wants to lend money essentially. Um, and I had like 30 something comments on it and legit got eight private money lenders who have actually told me that they are going to pledge money for said deal. Um, so, you know, eight private money lenders off of one Facebook post. I was like, man, something's kind of here. You know, people don't want to, people that are rich don't want to do the labor for this stuff, you know, so they're, they're fine with paying money. They're fine with paying 40 grand, 80 grand into a LP position. And this is obviously very high level stuff. You're not going to do this brand new right. into the business, but after a while, like the, the point that we're at right now. I'm looking to talk to uh, private money lenders and other investors and wholesalers, obviously. Love you guys. I've bought so many deals from wholesalers and some of the best deals that I bought have been from wholesalers. As much as that kills me to say, um, <laughs> they've been some of the deepest discounted deals that I've ever purchased was from wholesalers. Some of my best flips have been from wholesalers as well. So um, yeah, that, that's what I would say.
0: To that. love it awesome I just want to really quick talk, talk on this Ethan said can you teach me real estate I want to do my first deal do you have any coaching <laughs> program where what should what should Ethan Ethan it sounds like you need to get him some private money if you want him to teach him something right find some Ethan, rich people that you know to get into his projects and then he will teach you real estate I feel like that would be a good answer for you to that question
1: Ethan is a great friend of mine and I can tell you this he's oh, saying gotcha. that as a joke he has done more deals than I have. Um, oh, us gotcha. just put it that way. Um, he, it's, we just joke about that because people always say that. They want to do their first deal, but they don't know how to. And I hope so. Whatever, dude, you've done over 200 transactions. And I think you own a little that. over 100 rentals. But um, the yeah, so I, I don't have any coaching programs, to be honest with you. Um, I do not want to spend my time doing that. I hate to say that, but that's just the God honest truth. Um, if somebody's willing to pay me to, you know, be on a phone call or something and give them information, I will do that. But I, I, I'm I, not going to spend my time doing that, unfortunately. I'm sorry. You know, no, if, people, if, if people, if uh, people, you know. There's plenty who, of gurus out there, my man. Don't worry plenty, about it. Plenty. There are
0: plenty of gurus out there. Message um, all those
1: people. Message all those people. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah. So maybe in the future, so but. Not, not now, my man. I'm, I'm enjoying investing and buying these multifamily deals, and that's, that's my focus right now. All right, I love it, my man. Do you have any last words before I wrap this up? No, that is it. I think we went through a lot of stuff. Probably could have went another hour, but, uh, you know, we went through a lot of good stuff. Somebody's gonna get some value out of that if you just take action from today's podcast and just take action. you know, you're going to be that much farther ahead than the other guy that's watching this. That's not going to do anything tomorrow morning. So that's the reality. I love it guys. Um,
0: thank you guys so much for coming on, uh, next week. I forgot who we have, but obviously it's Thanksgiving. So I think it's gonna be on Tuesday or Wednesday, the podcast. Um, remember guys, The week after Thanksgiving, I'm going to do a live, I'm going to do a live event, go to the link in my bio and my Instagram, everybody. If you guys want to come and be in my office, I'm going to become an act manager for a week. Um, I'm going to show you guys exactly how my virtual office works, how we get like 100k plus per month. So if anyone who's watching is interested, go do that. And Garrett, thank you so much for coming on. I'm gonna end this right now. Scorch the fears. Let's freaking go.